Good morning, church. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Good to see you this morning. Thank you, Caden. I appreciate that. I feel like sometimes I need a backpack when I walk up here, but um, I'll tell you why in just a minute. Acts chapter 16, a couple of announcements as uh, we get started this morning. Of course, as uh, we've told you, if you're visiting with us today, welcome to Crosspoint Church. Thanks so much for uh, taking time to worship the Lord Jesus with us today. Um, if you came in, you should have got one of these. Guest card. Thank you, Daniel. appreciate that. Um, and... Uh, it has a, a place for you at the bottom to tear off, fill out your information, or made it super easy on your QR code, shoot your camera on that, and fill that out. Uh, if we can serve you in any way or get connected to small groups, small groups uh, have uh, continue to meet. It's a great way for you to get plugged in and, uh, and meet new people and have places in our church where people directly pour into your life and you pour into others. Small groups, of course, are back in the lobby at the people in places section. Uh, tonight, starting point, um, if you still have been kind of on the, uh, the, the fence about coming tonight to our membership class, which is starting point, you can, uh, you can still come. Just please let us know immediately uh, after church that you're going to be here tonight at 5 p.m. Child care is included. And again, Starting point is the first step in how to become a member at Cross Point Church. You basically, after tonight, if you come to starting point, we'll put the ball back in your court and uh, to, to let us know that you want to continue uh, in the membership process. And so if you just want to come and learn tonight, no, no sign up or no commitment. We're not going to put the heat on you at the end or anything like that. But just a way for you to learn more about us as a church, what we believe, how we're structured, and, uh, and our mission um, to follow Jesus and take his name to the nations. couple of new baby girls in the last couple weeks. Uh, you remember about a month ago, Jordan and Katie Walters, we prayed for them. Miss Annie James Walters made her entrance to the world on Thursday, September 21st. And uh, John and Jenny Fennell, this past Thursday, so not only two girls, two Thursday girls, uh, John Ryan and Jenny Fennell had Ruth Annette Fennell. She came into the world Thursday evening. John Ryan sent me a text this morning. Please let the church know that we say, all caps, thank you, and that we know we are absolutely surrounded by Christian community. We have felt every prayer and thought the Lord has shown us so much favor through all of the church. So there you go. Praise the Lord. Even, uh, even you may not know John Ryan or Jeannie personally or not got to know them, but praying for families, God blesses families through even your prayers. Praise God for that. Acts chapter 16. Let's read the scripture together. Justin led off last week in verse 5 where Paul and Silas and a young dude named Timothy have begun moving back through the area of the first missionary journey. And they are delivering the decisions made about the gospel of grace at the council at Jerusalem. And they have been strengthened in the faith. And remember where we left off in verse 5 last week. People are getting saved. So thankful tonight. We have something like 18 people in starting point. Wanting to learn more about our church. And man, I'm so thankful for that. Some of those families uh, will have, have already expressed that they want to become members at Crosspoint. And I'm so thankful for that. But I told Justin this week, and I actually told a few more of guys that I meet weekly with, this is what I said. And this is, let, let just hear my heart right here. I am so thankful for 
transfer growth, where people, believers, find a place at Crosspoint, they plug in. But let me tell you something. I want to see people get saved. I want to see people get saved. And I want to see all of us, as we'll see today, so much pertinent information, so much applicable information. All of us in God's mission throughout the week have the opportunities through relationships, through opening our mouth, to see in the future God's church grow through salvation. Amen? All of us at one point were without grace and without God, and God came and found us, and many times he comes and finds us through his people. Acts chapter 16, we will begin, this is at the beginnings of the second missionary journey. Let's read verse 6 through verse 15. And they, that's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the missionary team, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, underline that, we'll come back to that, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a straight, or we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neophilus, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Father, we ask that you, by the work of the Holy Spirit, would speak to us today, that you would help us understand the Word of God. Just don't let it be facts and words, but pierce our hearts, encourage our hearts, convict our hearts, draw our hearts, call our hearts Lord, take the words of the first century and apply them in the 21st century. God, we need you. Lord, I need you. Just uh, like all of us, Lord, just a week. And Lord, this morning, come needy and just ask uh, for, uh, Lord, just fresh filling to be used by you. And for, Lord, the people listening this morning who want to hear the word of God. Lord, feed us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the message this morning, The Macedonian Call and the First Convert. The Macedonian Call and the First Convert. I want you to take the next three weeks as a package. And what I mean by that is Justin introduced us to Acts chapter 16 last week, the beginning of the missionary journey. But really, the second half of the message today, next week's message, and then the week after, will be all together because it really takes place in this city that we just read about that they get to called Philippi. And what Acts chapter 16 is, you see the gospel going west and you see the first European church planted, which is in the city of Philippi. Now, this is what I want you to see as kind of how this chapter will unpack. 
So what we're going to see in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40, if you'd put that up for me, please, right after the scripture reading. The way that this chapter breaks down is that you have a call, and we call it the Macedonian call because they're called to this region called Macedonia. What we're going to see today is the call leads to a woman named Lydia. It leads to her conversion. And then next week, we're going to see that this Macedonian call leads to this slave girl who's demon-possessed. She's delivered from demon possession, and as a result, there's some consequences. Paul and Silas get thrown into jail. But God even uses jail for his glory because while they're in jail, God saves the jailer, and he saves the household of the jailer. And the chapter ends with everybody together in a place, and Paul and Silas and Timothy, and as we'll see today, Luke encouraging these new believers. Now, why, why I want you to, to see that is Acts chapter 16 really sets forward God's mission. It shows God's mission like full force. Because the next three weeks, you're going to see again that the gospel is for everyone in any place of life, in any place in society. The gospel saves rich Ladies who own things, the gospel saves poor slave girls who own nothing, and the gospel saves everyone in the middle, just jailers that want to do their job and go home and get back to their family. And the first church that was planted in Europe was a church where the first converts came from all types of society. And so just see that in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about Lydia today. Justin will cover the passage on a slave girl next week, and then I'll cover the jailer in a few weeks. Several years ago, I woke up at almost 10,000 feet, like 9,900 feet in the Himalayas in North India, and I had slept pretty good the night before because we were staying at a guest house in this village called Milana, and they had fed us like homemade banana pancakes the night before, and those were really good. And when it's like 45 degrees outside and you got a real good sleeping bag, you sleep great. I woke up the next morning, it was about 6 6.15, uh, my buddies were catching a couple more minutes. I went outside, put on uh, some, a jacket, and, and sat out on this porch. And the guest house was right, was, was above the village. The village was kind of built on the side of this, this hill. And, and I was looking down, and people began to stir around. People began to, to move, and you could see smoke begin to come up from the houses. This village, very unique. You can read about it. You can Google it. Malana, M-A-L-A-N-A. The traditions of this village go back to the time of Alexander the Great when his eastern conquest was repelled at the Ravi River and his soldiers began making their way back west. There's actual, they claim that there's actual descendants of Alexander the Great's troops still living in this village. Over time, they've developed their own language. They said that it was given to them by demons and when you hear them speak it, you say, yes, that might, that might actually be a, a fable. What struck me that morning or that the day before when we were interacting with the people was because it's a hiking village, they have a lot of mountain marijuana, right? And so I was watching three and four-year-olds roll out marijuana for their parents to sell these tourists that come through. And you see how people interact with each other. And the night before, we had shared the gospel and we had shown some gospel films and 
Really, for the first time in, in a long time, we found out some missionaries had, had come through there, but the people hadn't been open. People actually took the tracks, and they actually listened to the message. And I woke up the next morning, and I sat there, and I looked over this village, and I thought about what we had done before, and I, I was looking at three different temples this, in, in this village. They had their own high priest in the village, just seeing how much Satan had held these people in captivity and began to ask this question, Lord, who, who's responsible for these people? These people are going to wake up today under your sun and your mountains, breathe your oxygen, and yet they are held captive. I remember that morning because it was one of those watershed moments in your life when you hear Isaiah 6, 8 ring out in your heart. Who will go for us? Who will change the situation? Who will look at the lostness of the world and partner with God to do something about it. Now, Paul and Silas and Timothy have said yes to that, and we should keep in mind that those that stayed in Jerusalem and those that stayed in Antioch and Syria, Paul, Silas, and Timothy aren't better than them, right? Because if you're going to go down in the well, as William Carey once said, somebody's got to stay up to hold the rope. And you've got churches all along the way sending out these missionaries because their role in the mission is to send out. But you have these three men that are going. And I want you to see just two main truths today. The first I want you to see, the first truth, is more like a heading, is the Macedonian call. And the reason we call it the Macedonian call is that Paul and Silas and Timothy are going to be called to this area called Macedonia. Now, Notice, it's X, that they were going through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, if we go back up in the passage that Justin read last week, verse 4 tells us that one of the reasons they were going through the heart of Asia Minor was they were delivering the decision made at the Council of Jerusalem and basically rooting out, undercutting what the Judaizers were saying. You do not have to be circumcised. You do not have to keep the law. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen? So they're, they're moving through there encouraging the churches. Now, they want to, to their credit, advance the gospel. But it says in verse 6 that the Holy Spirit forbid them, stopped them, told them they could not do something. And what was that? To speak the word in Asia. And so then they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Under this call, I want you to see first that the Holy Spirit, not Paul, not Silas, not Timothy, the Holy Spirit shut down missionary work in two directions. Now, those two verses can cause us pause because we can say, I thought the whole thesis of this book, if you remember, the whole purpose of this book is to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and then where? To the ends of the earth, right? And so Paul and Silas and Timothy are trying to take the gospel to places where the gospel has not been before. And guess what's happening? The Holy Spirit says, no. And so they try to go in another direction. The Holy Spirit says, no. All right, I'm preaching this morning. So you know that if I'm preaching, there's probably going to be a map if we're in the book of Acts. Okay, so we'll put the map up there. Um, I totally forgot my, my leisure this morning. And this is like, this is how stuff works, okay? The Lord knew that I left my leisure in my pocket. So I actually had Anna Sullivan, who's in the Ramey small group. She came to me this morning during the first song. And she said, hey, uh, as a small group, we wanted to gift you a laser. So you don't have to borrow anyone's anymore. Now, y'all... There's lasers in the world, and then there's lasers in the world, okay? Um, 
If you haven't been with us in, in Acts, uh, I usually have to borrow somebody's laser, and then Justin gets jealous, and then he tries to one-up me. Justin, you can never one-up this laser, okay? I was told this is the kind that you get, like, put in jail for if you shine it at airplanes, okay? So let's put, hey, and we're going to, how great is that map? Justin found that map, you know? We like maps here at Cross Point. All right, here we go. Maybe the, the, the world, the room won't blow up if I turn this on. Dude, that's an awesome laser. All right, here we go. So Mother Church Antioch, right? Sends them out. I gotta make sure, y'all aren't blinded by that, are you? It's, it's pretty strong, isn't it? All right. So I'll be quick. All right. So this is what they're doing. They're traveling. It says in, in Acts 15 or in Acts 16 that they're going through Fergia and Galatia. That's this area, okay? That's this area. Now it says particularly in verse 6 that they were trying to go to Asia. Asia, not the continent, okay? This is another region. So you see these towns where they've gone. Remember on the first missionary journey, Cyprus, and they come up this way and they go down, and then they come back. This is how they're going on the second missionary journey. There it is. Luke, why are you following the arrow? We see that. I just like my new laser. All right, here. So what they're doing now, they've got to Antioch and Pisidia, where they had been before. So now they're trying to go this way. They're trying to go this way. Now notice, what towns are this way? You've heard of this town before, possibly. Colossae. Laodicea, Ephesus, Sardis, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. If your mind goes to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, those are all those churches, right? Now check this out. At this point, there's no church of Colossae, so there's no Colossians yet. At this point, there's no church at Ephesus, so guess what? There's no Ephesians yet. So what Paul is doing, Paul knows that there's cities over here, so Paul's trying to go this way. And what's the text say? It says that when they tried to speak the word in Asia, what did the Holy Spirit say? No. We don't know how that happened. Now, we know back in chapter 15, it says that Silas is a prophet. And we know that in Acts chapter 13, it speaks of Paul being a prophet as well. So I don't know how this happens that the Holy Spirit says, I forbid you to speak the word in Asia. Um, in the New Testament, we have like, God's people, there be like words of prophecy that are spoken. Keep the map up, man. I'm not done yet. All right. I, that, that was too short. I got to have more fun with the map. All right. So we don't know if it was like a, a prophetic word where Silas is like, hey, man, like, we're not supposed to go. Or Paul says, hey, we're not supposed to go. It could have been like circumstances. You ever had that in your life? Like you're trying to do something and it's not like one door gets shut, like 85 doors get shut. And you take that as, okay, Lord, thanks for getting my attention. And what do you do? You start pushing against the door, and then another door comes behind it, and then like three locked doors come behind it, and you say, okay, Lord, I, I get it. Could have been like that. So they know they can't go west, so what do they try to do? They try to go north, it says, to Mysia. So they probably went a little this way, and then they were going to go this way. Now, the point of going to, to Mysia was they wanted to go into Bithynia. They wanted to go north. So Paul's thoughts are, I can't go west, so let me go north. And, and I was reading this week, people, some, some commentators thought the, the whole point of them going to Bithynia was so that they could make this loop back into North Galatia where they had not been and then circle back down to Antioch. So basically first missionary journey like that, second missionary journey, well, we can't go this way, so let's go make a wider loop. But what happens? What does it say? In verse 7, when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but what happened? The Holy Spirit said, no. Particularly, notice it says, 
That the Spirit here is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. And uh, one commentator, I think it was F.F. Bruce, said, the Holy Spirit may be referred to here as the Spirit of Jesus because the prophecy or the word or, or the impression came in Jesus' name. Like, like, don't do that in Jesus' name. So the Holy Spirit doesn't allow them. Well, no baseball in the first century, but there's two strikes right there. Like, what are we, what are we doing? So they can't go north. They're forbidden. So they come down here to Troas on the shore of the Aegean Sea. I've always been bothered somewhat by this passage. Until I realized this truth. God's work has to be done in God's way. God's work has to be done for God's glory. But check this out. God's work has to be done in God's timing. Now let me just encourage you with something. They're skipping around this area. Did the gospel come to Bithynia? Yes. You know how I know? Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, I mean Peter, years later, is writing to Christians in, guess where? Bithynia. So the gospel would come to Bithynia. Did the gospel come to Asia? Yes. We have a church later in Ephesus. We have a church in Colossae. We have a church in Laodicea. These are all the seven churches of Revelation. So yes, the gospel did come. So check this out. It's not that God didn't want to save these people. It's not that these people didn't need to hear the gospel. God had something if I can say it this way, up his sleeve that Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't know about. And sometimes when God shuts that door, he's doing it providentially on purpose because he's got something in mind that would blow your mind if he told you about it. So the Holy Spirit shuts down this missionary work in two directions. But I want you to see also, I'm not done with this by the way, we're going to have some more map fun later on. Are y'all cool with the map? I just... That's how my mind thinks. You know, we can, I don't know where Salmon Thrace is, but yeah. So let's go back to the text. The Holy Spirit shut down missionary work in two directions, but what happened? Secondly, the Spirit shut these two doors in order to open another one. So passing by Mysia, verse 8, they went down to Troas. And while they're in Troas, doesn't say how long they were there, but you got to figure it's basically they're going to a seaport, lots of options on the table, and you got you to feel like, I hope I'm not imposing on the text, it says you got to feel like they're just like, what do we do? Like, what's going on? Like, we can't go west, we can't go north. Like, like where do we go? And so it says that in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there. Macedonia, across the Aegean. Europe. At this point, the gospel had come to Asia. Obviously, it started in Palestine. It had gone south into Africa. Macedonia is Europe. Macedonia is named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon. When the Hellenization of the world took place, and Alexander the Great, or, or Philip of Macedon, conquered areas that his son Alexander the Great would expand, there was a region 
here. And at this time, it was a province. And I don't know how in the world, and it's probably useless to ask, but like, how did Paul know that this dude was from Macedonia? Macedonia, except for the fact he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. People have suggested that maybe Paul met somebody from Macedonia during the day in Troas, and he saw that guy again in the dream that night. We we don't know. But the point was, it was a guy identified with an area of land that Paul had not been to, and what is the the, the call? What, What is the plea? Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul wakes up the next day, and notice what happens in verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision... Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul wakes up, and he begins to share with his teammates, hey guys, I had this dream. Now, it says that they concluded, which means they probably bounced it around a little bit. Guess what we see again? Paul not standing up demanding this is what we do. What do we see Paul doing? Sharing, submitting. They did this, remember, before the Jerusalem council, right? They go down and submit to the apostles. You know what he's doing here? He's bouncing it off Silas. He's bouncing it even off Timothy. Can I just tell you something? There is safety in including believers in big decisions in your life. They have the Holy Spirit. They have the Word. When do they conclude? God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let me give you a word of encouragement here. Because it encourages me. Macedonia probably was not on Paul's radar to do missionary work. Paul thought he had to go to Asia first, to the west. or He had to go to Bithynia. And check this out. In his mind, this is very helpful for us to know, Paul in his mind probably had a certain area that he wanted to reach. And can I just encourage you this morning? Sometimes we aren't reaching who God wants us to reach because we box in the horizons of who God wants us to reach. We only think of certain groups. And the problem is, even in America, because I see it everywhere, we're humans, so we gravitate to people that look like us, talk like us, have the same interests as us. What's sad is, I go to India and see this as well. You'll you'll go to North India. And in North India, on a Sunday morning, you'll go to a local congregation, and that local congregation will be people from South India that went to North India and meet as South Indians and speak their South Indian language and sing in their South Indian language. And anybody from North India coming in there, they'd be like, what is this? In America, oftentimes, the most segregated hour is the public worship of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ on Sunday morning. And you know why? Because in our minds, it's those closest to us. It's really encouraging for me here to realize that the Apostle Paul needed his horizons expanded. (laughs) You know? He wasn't thinking. He wasn't synced up at this point. He, and all of us come to that place where our minds, are, our eyes lift and our souls lift. We say, oh, wow, God, that's what you're after. I remember in Africa as a college student in the country of Burkina Faso, waking up on a sunny morning and walking about 45 minutes and uh, walking to a little, small, outdoor structure where the church met because the church is not a building. The church are people. Jesus didn't die for carpet or stages or lights. He died for people. 
We went there that morning. It was a little wall, a little mud hut, a little mud wall this high, and it open, and bamboo stuck up, and leaves and branches made the ceiling. And one brother got there this, that morning, and it was a dirt floor, and he was sweeping the dirt so that it would look nice before the believers showed up. And I can remember sitting there and watching this brother who didn't speak the same language as me, who looked completely different than me, his context was, all he knew was that on Sunday morning, they would gather under branches, but they would worship the risen Lord Jesus. And this is what it hit me that morning. There's going to be a ton of people in heaven that don't look like me. They don't speak my language. They don't have the same background as me. But guess what? We're saved by the same gospel, by the same Savior. We're indwelt by the same Spirit, and we are part of the same church. So Paul wakes up. Silas had a dream last night. You're not going to believe it. It wasn't somebody from the province of Asia. It wasn't somebody from Bithynia. It was a Macedonian. Guess what happened? We're going to go preach the gospel. Why would the Holy Spirit shut this door in order to open another? Let me just give you real quick three reasons. First, obviously, is for evangelism. For evangelism. Why did the Holy Spirit shut the door? To open another for evangelism. We're going to see in just a moment, and I've already laid it out to you, there were people where God's providence had, had lined up the situation so that when the gospel came to Macedonia, guess what was going to happen? They were ready to hear. Their hearts had been prepared to hear the gospel. God had a plan. If doors get shut in your life, and then it just appears pretty wild that another door opens up, guess what? Get ready. God may have providentially orchestrated circumstances for you to what? Open your mouth and share. But secondly, there's another reason here. I, I think it's for sanctification and fellowship. Now, go back to verse 10. I told you to, to look at one word. When Paul had seen the, the vision immediately, notice how it changes from third person plural to first person plural. Up until this point in the book of Acts, it's been they, they, they. Because Luke's been telling the story. Because Luke's been recalling the facts. Because Luke's sharing the story as it was sharing. What do we have in verse 10 for the first time? What's the pronoun? We. Which tells you this, that Luke probably met Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Troas. I mean, guess what? Doctors needed on ships, isn't he? <laughs> Maybe he was hanging out, getting ready to go on a voyage. Luke's a Gentile. So now check this out. The missionary team has turned in from two Jews, and now they got their little hybrid sidekick that's Jew and Gentile, but he's been circumcised to take care of that problem, right? And now guess what? We got a full-blown Gentile on the team. Now check this out. Sometimes God shuts doors and opens others because you need to be introduced to people who will invest in your life and you'll invest in their life who are believers. That's why some of y'all like moved to Laurel, Mississippi, and you still hadn't figured it out. And you're here, and you've been coming here for like two months, and what you found out is, is that there's people here, we believe the Bible, we do our best to try to preach the Bible, we do our best to try to connect believers together. And you know why? God sovereignly shut doors in your life and opened other doors to get you around other believers, to make you like Jesus. To allow people to get in your ditch and allow you to get in their ditch. Can't you imagine Luke? Man, I really don't want to go hang out with these sailors, but Lord, I'll do it if you want me to. You know what? I'll walk down here and kind of look at, you know, these shops. I need some onions this morning. Get in a conversation about a tent. 
And there's a guy that's a tent maker. Hey, you like tents? Yeah, I build tents. What are you? What are you? Christian missionary doctor. You're a believer? You believe in the Messiah? I believe in the Messiah. Hey, we may have a spot for you. Fellowship. Sanctification. I was sharing this with Justin this past week, and he brought up a third point, which I think is really good. Why does God shut some doors and opens others? Because God has purposes in the future that we don't know about. Now, I shared this with Justin, and Justin went, Book of Acts! And I was like, yes. Think about this. Why did, why did God bring Silas and Paul and Timothy to Troas rather than allowing them to go further south into Asia or further north into Bithynia? Because... It wasn't random. Providentially, there was a Christian doctor named Luke whose hobby was history and writing things down. And God brings all of them together because God wanted you to have the book that we've been in for two years on a Sunday morning. God wanted you to have a gospel called the gospel of Luke that displays Jesus as the son of man. And he wanted a history of the early church, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And there was a man equipped to do that. And he was God's choice. And guess what? If the door's not shut into Asia, they don't meet Luke. If the door's not shut into Bithynia, they don't meet Luke. So here's Paul and Silas, man, and Timothy scratching and clawing. What are we doing? Why is the Holy Spirit not letting us do this? You're going to meet this doctor named Luke. You just don't know yet. And can't you just imagine the Lord just is how, you know, I, I don't want to impose things on the eternal one, but you just know it brings the joy of God's heart when he knows finite creatures like us that live in time when he just sees all his plans connecting and all his dots and the smile on God's face when Timothy brushes past Luke or, or Paul brushes past Luke or Silas. And God's just like, here it comes. There it is. Look, angels. Look at my plans come to pass. And you see, God may shut doors in order to open others. Because he's got all this stuff. We see the church history here. But you know what? God is still writing the church history through us. And these doors may be shut and others may be open because God's got plans and purposes. Not for just your happiness, but for gospel advance. Let me make one more statement and then we'll move on to the second truth. You know what I see... Paul and Silas and Timothy doing here? And you could say, well, they're missionaries. That's their job, or they're in the ministry. We have a tendency in our life to basically have our life with gospel dumped on the end. Rather than it being that we exist for God's glory and great commission and gospel advance. And so then, check this out. You know what Paul and Silas and Timothy are doing right here? They are making decisions about how to advance the gospel. Where we're going to sleep, where we need to advance the gospel. Where do we need to go, where we need to advance the gospel. Where do we need to stay, wherever we can advance the gospel. When I was wrestling with where to go to college, I had a potential appointment to the Naval Academy, and I could have played football there. Uh, I could have played baseball and football at Jones. I could have gone to Mississippi College, and they wanted me to play, to tight, to play tight end, and I'm glad I didn't do that because my knees would hurt worse than they already do. Or I could have walked on at Southern Miss, and I was wrestling through all this. And just how God works, I tore my ACL through the hands of the Taylorsville Tartars, the second uh, game of my senior season. And really my only options then became walk on, JUCO, possibly go to the Naval Academy. And so we were in Birmingham. Uh, I was getting my, 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 need, my uh, 
my knee down there. Joey Cooley got me in to see Dr. James Andrews, which is really cool. He did my surgery. And while we were there, the night before, we went to a church, and there was a guy there, and his name was Rick Swing, and he was a youth minister, and he preached that night. And he came to see me during my, uh, during my recovery, and we became friends, and he came over and preached some to my, our student ministry at Highland. Michael, you probably remember Rick Swing, played in the NBA, really cool dude. And I can remember agonizing my senior year about where do I go, where do I go, where do I go, where do I go? And in my mind, I'm thinking like scholarship money, and I'm thinking like, you know, uh, I have this ministerial guilt trip. I'm going to the ministry, so I need to go to Mississippi College. I can play football there, but I can go to a Christian school. Rick Swing asked me this question. He said, Luke, if it was a guilt-free world, where would you go? And I said, well, yeah, I'd go to Southern Miss. And he's like, why don't you go to Southern Miss? And this was his follow-up question. If everybody goes to places that already know the gospel, who's going to go to places where they don't know the gospel? So check this out. For the first time in my life, guess what the decision for college to be made? Not where I get the most scholarship money, not where I can play the fastest, but where is God leading me to help advance the gospel? That's the approach you should take with your job. That's the approach you should take with where your kids go to school. That should be the approach that you take when you decide on where to move. When you're considering all these things, there needs to be deep into that decision process, God, above all, maybe a better salary, maybe a better situation, but God, if it causes me not to be wrapped up and be part of gospel advance, I don't want to be a part of it. Does that make sense? We don't think about that, do we? I mean, it just this hit me even last night as these thoughts were rolling around in my head. I was just mad that Southern Miss got beat last night. I was trying to go to sleep. We get mad when that happens. We shouldn't. Justin's mad this morning. You, they still, we still getting beat in the Ryder Cup? No, we came back? Oh, it's done. Okay. If he's in a bad mood today, it's just, it happens to preachers, okay? Just roll around in my head. The thought came how much we don't base our decisions on where we are involved in the advance of the gospel. We should. You should ask yourself that question. This is how they're doing it. Yeah, they're missionaries. No, they're, they're Christians. Base our decisions on the advance of the gospel. Got to get to the second truth. First convert. Her name's Lydia. That's the second truth this morning. Lydia is the first convert in... Philippi. It says in verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neophilus. And from there we went to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Put the map up if you would. So they're at Troas, and they meet Luke, and Luke joins them. So it says that they go to Samothrace. Now, what's wild is this voyage later on in chapter 20 will take like five days, but here it only takes like one day. They had really good weather. Samothrace, I was reading, was this pretty cool island. It rises like 5,000 feet out of the water. It'd be a cool, uh, hey, we were remembering you from Samothrace. Anyway, they go over here to Neophilus. Now, Neophilus is the port city for this important city, Philippi. What's interesting is, notice this. Here's Macedonia. Here's where they get the call. They don't stop at Samothrace. And even when they get to Neophilus, they go interior to Philippi. Because check this out. If God has called us to Macedonia, we're not going to stop along the way. 
You know what I see here? Just, this is maps. This is geography. I see full-fledged obedience from Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, not stopping along the way, maybe stopping, because if the ship stops, you can't help it. You just don't get out of the boat and start swimming towards the shore. But notice this. Too many of us will stop here and think we've done a little bit in God's economy rather than being obedient. Whatever God's called you to do, be obedient. Go all the way. And so they come to Neapolis. Now, you're going to see something really funny here. They get to Philippi, and they say, well, we guess we're supposed to be here in Philippi. They could have stopped at Neapolis. You're going to see in just a minute, they suppose there was a place of prayer. Why would they stop at Philippi? We're told, we're told here that it's a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Back in our uh, truth section lobby, we, we have commentaries uh, in, in our act section, and it's just to kind of show you what we're wrestling with during the week. So this is why I needed my backpack this morning. Here's a uh, Acts commentary from the Tyndale series by I, I. Howard Marshall. I just brought it up here to read out of it just so you could see it, and it's a good commentary. He tells us why Philippi was so important. Philippi was an ancient town which had been renamed by Philip of Macedon, Alexander the Great's father. Now check out where it is in history. This is pretty cool. It was the site of the defeat of Brutus and Cassius. Et tu, Brute, right? Same guy. Mark Antony and Octavian, who's later Augustus, Caesar Augustus, they defeated Brutus and Cassius here in 42 B.C., as a result, it became a Roman colony. And a Roman colony was where veteran Roman soldiers would settle. This is a place that was unique in that it was self-governed. It was under Roman laws and it was free from taxes. Hey, that's a nice place to live. Macedonia was unique because it was divided into four different sub-provinces. And Philippi was the leading city of the first province. So what we can assume is when they got on shore, they began to figure out that 10 miles inland was this really, really, really influential, important city called Philippi. Oh, one more thing. Philippi was where the Ignatian Way started, a very, very important city, kind of like the interstate, one of the main interstates in the Roman Empire. And so what do they see here? Now, this is, this is, I think this is important for us to understand. They got a direct call to Macedonia, but the vision didn't include like step-by-step GPS instructions once they got on shore, right? So check this out. This is what you see in the scripture. God's sovereignty, God's direct leading, and then sometimes God leaves the blank for you to go figure it out, for you to obey. Because he will guide us, and yet guess what? We must take the first step and obey. To those who knock, the door is open. To those who seek, they find. To those who ask, they receive. God just doesn't throw it on us. We'd become spoiled brats of children if he just dumped everything on us. We're called to obey. We're called to scratch. We're called to claw. We're called to seek. And that's what they do. Let's just walk through the text for just a second before we pull out a few principles in this part about Lydia. It says in verse 12 that they remained in this city some days. Verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. Here it is. Where we suppose, they don't have anything to go off of except a hunch. We suppose there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. Now, if you remember on the first missionary journey, what's Paul's strategy? 
He goes to the city, and where's the first place he goes? You might remember? The synagogue, right? To have a synagogue, you had to have 10 Jewish men. So there's no synagogue inside the city. So the way that Luke records this, there could have been a small meeting place that was called a place of prayer outside by the river. One commentator said it may have been as much as a mile outside the city. But they go to a place where they think maybe some people would gather to pray. Maybe they had a hunch or somebody told them. But notice there, there are some women who had come together. So they're either sitting outside praying or they're gathered in a very small structure praying. One of the women there in verse 14 was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Now she had migrated. She had come across the Aegean just like they had. Thyatira is in Asia Minor. Notice what it says she does. She's a seller of purple goods. Purple was what the wealth, wealthy wore and what the um, royalty wore. Thyatira was known for basically uh, being a place where you could have access to this purple dye. It would come. One of the ways they got it was from this root of this, this plant. So Thyatira was famous because of that. And so you got to think there's a woman. She's from here. She sells purple goods. She's very well-to-do. We find out later in the, the, this chapter that she has her own house, and it's a pretty big house. But it says here that she was a worshiper of God. That means that probably she had connected herself to the God of Israel as a Gentile. It's kind of like Cornelius. But still without news of the gospel. What are some principles we see here? And then we'll mention Lydia's conversion as we wrap up. This is what I see first. Where God led, the team sought to engage others. There's a leading to Macedonia. There's a general direction to Macedonia. But guess what? When we get there, we have to go do something. When the Holy Spirit says, don't speak the word in Asia... When the Holy Spirit says, don't speak the word in Bithynia, that doesn't give us a license to never speak the word again. Right? He is telling us to not go in one direction so that we may go in another direction. And so they get to Philippi, and guess what? Wow, there's no synagogue. Where in the world could maybe people pray? Hey, have you ever seen people pray? Have you seen people have, where people meet for spiritual conversations on the Sabbath? It's a Jewish prayer gathering because it's on the Sabbath. So Sabbath, they wake up early. Do you know where maybe some, yeah, down there on the river, go outside, do you down here? You know, I don't know if they do it like we did it. Go down there to Uncle Fred's house, take a left at the oak tree, take a right and second left. I'm just like, like, bro, I don't, I don't think that way anymore. You know what I'm talking about? But that's how we do it here in Mississippi. I don't know if that's how it happened, but you see them actively seeking people out. In the areas where God has led you, do you actively seek? Do you actively pursue? Do you have your spiritual radar up? Are you actively looking for opportunities to serve and to share? There's a second principle here, and here it is. Where God provided, the team faithfully shared the truth. Now, as in many places in verse 14, Paul is the one speaking. It says at the end of verse 14 that Paul was speaking, that they came to these women, that they sought out people to speak to, and God provided a group of women. 
And what happened in that situation? I don't know how they addressed, but Paul may have used at that point some of his rabbi credentials <laughs> and gained an audience, and he began to speak to them. What did he say? I just want you, it won't be on the screen. I just want you to write down a few of these verses. In Acts chapter 14, verse 7, it says that as Paul went through places, he preached the gospel. He preached the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 17, verse 18, Acts chapter 17, verse 18, in Athens, Paul was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, Acts chapter 20, verse 21, Paul is recounting his missionary work, and he said, I testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what did Paul preach? He preached to repent and to believe in Jesus. Then one more. Paul is giving a defense later. He's sharing about his life. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 26, verse 20. Acts 26, verse 20. I told the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. That's probably what he shared right here because we find Lydia kind of echoing that. So what did Paul share? What did the team share? Paul told them that someone had come. Messiah had come. The Jewish Messiah had come, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. Lydia is a Gentile. And so this is not. <laughs> you got to be a Jew. You got to be a complete Jew. You got to take on all the law. You know, we see all through this chapter, y'all. Aren't you so thankful for the Jerusalem council that Paul didn't look at them because the council decided, well, you got to get, you know, your husband's got to get circumcised and your kids, boys got to get circumcised. And you got to jump through all the, hey, uh, you know, those, you got two garments on, your, uh, your, your purple garments are made of like two different, uh, you know, kinds of wool. Can't do it. Shut down your business. <laughs> they were not imputing, imposing the Levitical law on her. Aren't you thankful that the Jerusalem council went down? Now Paul could just look and he could say, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. They were faithful to share the truth. Where God brings people all along our way, guess what we do? We don't have to be used car salesmen. We don't have to write a 15-page paper and recite it at will. We are witnesses to who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. Lydia, isn't this good? God knew who she was. He knew her name. God knew where she was from. God knew what she had been doing. And God knew what she remotely thought about him. And so guess what? The reason that they weren't sent into Bithynia and the reason they weren't sent into Asia was because there was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who had some knowledge about God, and God wanted her to hear the gospel. See how God set stuff up? Notice Luke gives us a little clue to how God works. Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. We would never open our heart to the Lord. We're dead in sin and trespasses. So God in his grace not only announces the gospel to it, God opens the door of our heart so that we'll pay attention to hear the gospel. He knows we're too far gone. He knows that we would never pay attention. He knows that we're not heads. He knows that we're dead in sin and we love sin. And so you know what he does? He gets our attention. Side note, there's a verse in Revelation that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
let him open the door and I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Y'all, that is not an evangelistic verse. That is written to a church. It's even a more, it's even a more scary situation, a more frightening situation. It's not a sinner who's locked Jesus out. It's a church that's locked Jesus out. Lord Jesus, please don't let us be a church that does things in your name and kicks you out the door. You see, Jesus is king. He can kick down that door if he wants to. <laughs> He's not some little poor little guy outside wanting, looking for a place. He's the king of the universe. And here in his grace, you know what he does? There's a woman who's been processing, and she's moved her business here. And don't you, don't you see this in Lydia? That even though she has a lot, there is still something majorly missing in her life. And so she has come to believe in this God of Israel, and I'm certain that she had come across some prophecies. And guess what? That day, very gently but very strongly, God in his sovereignty opens the door of her heart, and the gospel comes in. And what happens? She pays attention, and look at what she says in verse 15. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Something was said about baptism. And they baptized her. It says also that they baptized her household as well. We'll get more into this in a few weeks with the Philippian jailer. That's implied. What that means is people who were like Lydia that were of age to pay attention to what was said by Paul. They just didn't like dunk everybody. What that means is people like Lydia that could hear and pay attention and understand what Paul was saying. Guess what? They're baptized. What's implied there is that they believed also. But notice what she says. She urged us, saying, If you think I have been faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. What's implied there is she had a big house. I'll host you. I'll cook for you. I'll be there. You come be my guest. Don't you wish we had people today across the board when they believed in Christ, they looked at the preacher and they said, watch me for three weeks and see if I'm faithful to the Lord. They looked at a local church and said, keep me in line for the next year and see if I'm faithful to the Lord. Not where we have to like send the FBI out to try to find people, try to beg them so that our numbers will stay the same. In the New Testament, it was the sinner, the one coming to Christ that felt their great need for Christ and looked at the church and said, please hold me accountable, not the other way around. This is this last point. When God saved, the team discipled new believers. When Justin picks up next week, you're going to see that there's, the text implies that they, were, they hung out with Lydia some. Because at least a week's passed because they're going back to the place of prayer. And you find them at the end of the chapter going back to Lydia's house because Christians have started to meet there. So they sought out people, they faithfully shared, and guess what? When God saved, they began to pour into these believers. That's why we believe in small group. That's why some of you meet weekly in a D group with other people in a smaller connection, studying the Bible together, praying for each other, encouraging one another. Because this is what happens. If we're a Christian, guess what? There comes a place in our life when it's our responsibility to pour into somebody else because somebody's poured into us. Paul didn't know how long they were supposed to be there. He just knew they were supposed to be there. And so while he was there and God had given believers, guess what he was going to do? He was going to pour into them. Let's apply this 
before we finish. A few questions this morning. First two are to possibly some of you who have never believed the gospel. Second two are to those of you who are believers. First this morning, are you like the Macedonians? Are you like the Macedonians and need a gospel help? Perhaps this morning, if somebody were to really ask you what's going on in your heart, you would just say, I'm in need of help. I don't have it all together. My life has been wrecked by my own decisions. I've never included God in the equation at all. But this morning and the last several weeks, I've just realized that I need help. Can I just tell you, physical help only goes so far. You can get more money in your account. You can get clean. You can get more stable and still go to hell. You can become more moral and still go to hell. You can become more religious and still go to hell. There's only one thing that helps you to the uttermost, and it is what Jesus Christ did on the cross in your place for your sin. And it is effective to you this morning because he died and rose again and because he sits enthroned on high. And can I just tell you this morning, we preach the gospel here because we want to help you, but you must believe. But perhaps there's a second group of us this morning are you like Lydia? Are you like Lydia? Having much but still needing Christ? You may have a nice house. You may have a good business. You may have great customers. But yet deep down inside, there's no peace and there's emptiness. You may even have been at cross point for a long time. And yet, guess what? Everybody on the outside thinks you got it all together. Even on the Sabbath, you go to the riverside to pray with other people. But guess what? You don't know Jesus. And maybe this morning, the Holy Spirit, in a very gracious way, has opened the door to your heart. There's hope for you this morning. For some of us, we might have to get really honest and die to our self-righteousness. But guess what? Jesus offers us himself. These last two, and you can just put them up at the same time. Believer, Christian, brother, sister, this morning. Where's God in your life opening doors, but possibly shutting doors? Shutting door may not mean, doesn't mean that you give up on someone that won't listen to you. Maybe you just keep praying for them. Maybe you just keep trying to serve them. I think if we got really honest, God would be opening up some crazy big doors in our life. Somebody's recently new coworker. Students, we look around and there's somebody that's moved in mid-year to our school. We look up and there's a new family down the block. We look up and God has just crazy reconnected us with somebody from our past. And they knew us BC, but now we've been born again. Guess what? We can tell them about who we are now. Where's God opening those lives and those doors? Who's the Macedonian in your life? Who in your life is like Lydia? Who in your life, by they may not say it verbally, but everything in their life says, please come help me, please come help me, please come help me. And where has God just brought you to Lydia in your life? Who are, who are those people? Who are they? Be faithful. Seek them out. Share the truth. 
And when God does his work, stick with them. Church at Philippi, first convert, not only in a city, not only in a colony, not only in a province, but the first convert on a continent because God's heart's for the world. Father, we come before you and we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you are faithful to speak and faithful to work. And God, even when we don't understand what's going on in our lives and in our circumstances, you have a plan and we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray this morning for our hearts and our lives that we would submit to your work. God, I pray for those in here this place that may be like the Macedonian man, that they would be honest and say, I need gospel help. Lord, for maybe someone like Lydia in here today who's religious and has means but doesn't know you, Lord, that, God, their heart would be open to the gospel, to pay attention to the truth, to abide and obey the truth, the gospel command. And, Lord, for those of us that have been saved by your grace, that, God, our eyes would be open to the harvest that we would trust you when doors are shut. God, we would walk through doors that you open and that we would consider all of this in light of your mission, our decisions, our lives, our families, Lord, in light of your mission. So Lord, help us this morning as we think about what you've said. Help us be faithful to obey it. As we sit before the Lord, what has he said in his word to you this morning? How has he spoken to you this morning? If you don't know Jesus and you need Christ this morning, Justin and I will be at the back. When we start singing, you can come grab us. We'd love to share the word with you. If you need to talk to somebody after the service, we're here. We also have godly women. If you're a lady and would like to speak to a godly woman to be able to share and pray with you, just come grab us and we'll talk to you or maybe even this week, come see us. Christian, Where's God calling you? Where has he called you? Who's he brought your way? Maybe this morning, take some time to pray for the Lydia's in your life, for the Macedonians, and then this week, open your mouth to be able to share. So let's stand. Let's sing this song together as we celebrate the Lord, his truth, his work in our life. Lead us, Daniel.